you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. Week to week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure that is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1 and 1 Timothy chapter 1 and beginning with verse 18. Hebrews 2, therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. The New International Version, the Revised Standard Version, many other versions use an interesting phrase for that last Portion where the King James Version says, lest at any time we let them slip. The New International Version says, lest we drift away. Give the more earnest heed, lest we drift away. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 18, this charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, According to the prophecies which went before thee, went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. Through the years and innumerable storms, many lighthouse keepers were involved in rescues and saved countless lives. Today I come with a heavy burden that kept me up most of the night, understanding the responsibility that rests upon my shoulders this morning. As I stand before you to preach a rather unusual message for a Sunday morning. As the lighthouse keeper, I stand here today sounding the alarm for those who have walked with God in a powerful, real, and close way. But for whatever reason it may be, perhaps your anchor has pulled loose, broken sail and you've drifted. And perhaps you feel like you're, you're in control and everything's going your way. 
but I sound the word of alarm to you this morning to pay attention. You may be in grave danger. I fear that you may not be aware, fully aware of everything that is at stake. And by the help of the Lord and the help of this church this morning, I'm going to preach on this first Sunday morning in the month of May of 2019, a message to try to wake every person in this room up from our sleep and drifting and call us to repentance and change. I'm going to ask you to pray with me this morning as I preach the message that I'm going to entitle Drifting into Shipwreck. Drifting into Shipwreck. Would you bow your heads where you are this morning? Father, I come this morning by the unction of your spirit and by the command of your word to preach to this congregation today, Lord, what you have put upon me. I pray that when I'm done this morning that there is a transference from what I feel in my spirit to every heart of every individual that is drifting this morning. God, that there would be a call to repentance, a call to change, to allow you, O oh Lord, to upright our lives and put us back in focus. I pray in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. Drifting into shipwreck. In one of the keeper's logbooks located in the National Archives from the White River Lighthouse on Lake Michigan is a story of tragedy, heroism, poor decisions, and a last-minute attempt for rescue. The lighthouse keeper's logbooks are usually formatted with two pages per month with single lines written on each day what transpired at the lighthouse. Like many jobs of that sort, there are more days with nothing to do than chaos and disaster. Yet the job is so very important. Generally, the left-hand page of their daily log reports the weather forecast, the weather of that day, and the right-hand page contains entries for what happened at the lighthouse on that particular day. Many times one would read a month after month with only entries of doing chores. It would just simply say, this is the weather for today, and it would say cleaning house, occasional maintenance, doing chores. However, on occasion, very rare occasion, but on occasion, you will find multiple pages written over with the stories of shipwreck and rescue, or at least rescue attempts, some successful and some ended in tragedy and the loss of life. Some stories end in triumph and others end in tragedy. One such interesting story is that of the Elsie Woodruff. It fills such pages with horrific outcome. The Elsie Woodruff was a wooden sailing vessel with three tall masts. She was built in 1866. It was registered in 
with a gross weight of 548 tons. Not a large ship by today's standard, but in that day, it was a great ship. Her cargo that day was corn, grown here in the Midwest, loaded in Chicago and on her way to Buffalo, New York. The rescue occurred near the White River Light Station on Lake Michigan on October 31st. 1878, when the Woodruff ran into trouble on the western side of Lake Michigan near Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and drifted across the lake in a record-making storm. A terrible gale and high waves forced many ships to seek shelter that day on Lake Michigan. By 8 p.m., the log accounts that the Woodruff was lying at anchor about a half mile off the eastern shore of Lake Michigan near the White River Lighthouse and the entrance to White Lake. When the lighthouse attendants noticed the ship, realized the ship was in trouble, a tug was sent out from White Lake to check her condition and found her severely damaged, her sails split, her fore top mast down, jib boon, and bow sprit all broken and tattered. The tug captain warned the crew to leave the rapidly deteriorating Woodruff. The account was that the captain told them, abort ship, let me rescue you before it is too late. But her captain, still thinking that she was in charge of the vessel, refused to leave the ship or yield control and led those who were under his watch and those whom he was influencing into peril, demise, and even death. By 4 a.m. the next day, the storm had worsened. The Woodruff's anchor began dragging slowly, drifting the boat into shore. By 9 a.m., the Woodruff struck bottom at about 13 feet of water and began to break into pieces only a few hundred yards away from safety of the observing lighthouse, watching as the ship broke into pieces. The captain and crew were left no choice then but to abandon the ship, jumping into the icy, uninhabitable waters of Lake Michigan. And of course, lives were lost. It was such a useless loss that day. If only they had heeded the warnings that were given them. But instead, they thought they were in control. The weather forecasters warned them not to leave port. Or they would risk peril, but the warning of the forecasters was not heeded. The tugboat captain urged them to saved their own lives, but his urge was not heeded. The frightening part of this story is that in the end of the story, the captain who made the decision survived. But several of those under his influence died a horrific death in the icy cold waters of Lake Michigan because a captain wouldn't heed the warning and wouldn't allow them to leave the ship when the warning came. I hope someone hears the urgency with which I stand in this pulpit and preach today. 
Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things that we have been taught lest we drift away into shipwreck. Then the writer goes on to say, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Notice it wasn't some willful action. It was simply if we neglect. In chapter 2, the writer pauses in his presentation to Jesus as being superior to everything and everyone to give his first of five warnings in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 2, he warns us of the peril of drifting. In Hebrews chapter 3, he warns us of the peril of doubting. In Hebrews chapter 5, he warns us of the peril of dullness. In Hebrews chapter 10, he warns us of the peril of despising in Hebrews chapter 12. He warned us as the peril of a defying spirit. Let that set in. The writer is appealing to those who once have heard the truth about Jesus and who knew about the truth and once had walked with him and knew his way, but now had drifted away from the place that they once were. It is calamity for a person to take their salvation for granted. To think there's always a chance, always a way, always an opportunity. I had a discussion with someone the other day, and I bring this into your hearing, and I can find no other way in Scripture to preach, but I believe in the imminent return of Jesus Christ. I believe that His coming is upon us. It could be any day. It could be before I even finish this message today. And there is no other way of salvation. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? In other words, there's not going to be another chance, another opportunity, another way. There is but one way. The opportunity is granted today. The warning is coming to you today. Don't wait. Don't put it off. This is the day of salvation. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 19. Paul speaks of those who have suffered shipwreck. Paul says they have shipwrecked their faith by rejecting the truth. The word rejected here translates to apatheo, meaning to push something or someone away. It, 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 it implies a deliberate rejection, meaning he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not. It is a rejection of what is right. It is not heeding the word that is coming into your hearing. Rejection with an attitude. Rejection with a defined spirit that the Apostle Paul in Hebrews chapter 12 talks about. The reason that the two men named in the passage a little later in our text. The reason that the two men named in this passage suffered shipwreck was because they rejected the truth. This moved away from the truth is never made in an instant. No one wakes up one morning and says, I think I'll throw my testimony away. 
I think I'll throw my life away. I think I'll throw my family away. I think I'll, no one wakes up and does it in a moment. That's not how it happens. Backsliding is a process. You don't come to church on Sunday and backslide on Monday. But it is, it is coming to church not heeding the, wo- the voice of God, the Spirit of God, rejecting, rejecting, rejecting. And after a while, your testimony is gone. Your family is gone. The will of God is gone in your life. I think I will backslide is not ever a thought in our minds. It's deliberate decisions, small ones, oftentimes seemingly insignificant. It's one time. It's once in a lifetime. It's just going to be a few days. It's just a little time of pleasure. It's just a little bit of what I want. It's what I really want today. I'm going to get my life right. This isn't what my heart really is. That's how shipwreck happens. As with great ships, tragedy can come when ships are allowed to drift. Everyone in this room could think of a person or persons who once walked with the Lord and have ended up making absolute shipwreck out of their life. They know the call of God. They know the voice of God. They understand the presence of God. They felt His draw. They have felt His Spirit. It doesn't have to happen. I call you today and speak to every person in this room. I specifically speak today to those who know that I'm speaking to you this morning because your life is drifting into chaos. And I call you today to evaluate your life, evaluate your friends, evaluate how you're spending your time, evaluate and consider who you're allowing to influence your life. What direction are you leading today? Disastrous shipwrecks happen far too often. If we're not careful, it can happen to you and it can happen to me. That's why the Apostle Paul says in his first letter to Timothy, I charge you, Timothy, son Timothy, he says, son Timothy, I charge you according to the prophecies that which went before on thee. In other words, what the Apostle Paul is saying, I'm charging you, don't forget what has been spoken over your life. Don't forget the prophecies that have been spoken over to you. Young man, young lady, young child of God, young minister, young adult, those in this room today that have heard the voice of God and have heard the call of God. I look on this front row and see great young ladies like Sister Karen and great young men like Brother Drew and I look across this room and see Natalie and Andrew both on the platform today hear the voice of your pastor this morning whether you're on the front or you're on the back hear the voice of your pastor this morning remember the prophecies that have been spoken over your life remember the prayers that have been prayed remember the time when the voice of God spoke 
spoke into your life, Timothy. I, Paul, your elder, stand before you and tell you, remember, listen, don't walk away from the prophecy. Don't walk away from the call. Don't walk away from the moments in the altar when you were slain in the Spirit, when the Holy Ghost was upon you, when you danced in the Spirit, when you were saying yes to it. Don't reject it, but remember it. I call you to the duty of realizing and understanding that you might fight a good fight because if you don't, your life will end in shipwreck. Verse 19 explains why. It was because they didn't hold on to what they had been taught. Watch, there was no problem with them knowing what to do. They didn't need a Bible study to know what to do. They understood what to do. We don't know a lot about the individuals in 2 Timothy chapter 2 that followed the text, but he talks about two men, and he says of them that he actually had to give up on them because they were destructive to the body. What a dangerous place to be. To be at a point where God would say, for the sake of the body, I will give them up, turning them over to reprobate minds, letting them believe a lie and be lost for the sake of the body. What a scary place to be. We don't know a lot about them. The Bible talks about them. Hymenius. Hymenius and Philetus. We read about them again, not only in 1 Timothy, but again in 2 Timothy chapter 2. The scripture talks about Hymenius and Philetus. Weird names, huh? I thought so. But the Apostle Paul said, they have strayed. They have drifted. In his second letter to Timothy, Paul also speaks of Alexander the coppersmith who, he says, he has done me great harm. He writes about him. He says, you also must be aware of him. For he has greatly, verse 15, he said, For he has greatly resisted our words. I hope you're hearing your pastor this morning. There are those who are resisting the call of God, the voice of God, the man of God and the word of God. But I come to you this morning to tell you that their time will be limited. Their time and their influence because there will be a day that the Lord will say, that's it, I'm not going any further. Depart 
separate yourself. I come this morning to tell you that every negative voice in your life, you either need to silence it or get away from it. You don't need, these are the last days. The coming of the Lord is very soon. If people are telling you you're not in the will of God, you need to check that against the Word of God. And with your man of God, you need to say, hey, I'm going to get on my knees and pray about it. I'm not listening to every voice. I'm not being moved by every wind of doctrine. I'm putting my feet on the ground. I'm part of a revival church. I'm not moving. I'm not You do what you want to do. By the way, for those of you that don't know, I'm celebrating 29 years of marriage to this wonderful lady on this front row today. But I'm going to tell you something. We've raised three wonderful boys. Sometimes they're wonderful, sometimes not so wonderful. We've raised a, a wonderful family. We're very proud of them. But I stand on this pulpit today and declare to you, if she decides to walk away from God, go another direction, whatever, she, she's going to have to do it, but she's going to have to do it by herself because I've made up my mind. Don't anybody get a wrong impression. She's not going anywhere. She's in the amen corner this morning. But I come today to tell you that not my mama, not my daddy, not my wife, not my kids, there's nobody who shall be able to say, I don't have a friend in this world that's going to lead me out of the church lead me away from truth my feet are on the rock I am a blood bought born again apostolic head to toe I believe in the salvation experience separation from the world I don't smoke, drink, party run with wild women Oh, come on, somebody ought to rejoice today. You need to put your feet on the rock and declare every negative voice, everything that is speaking into my mind, I'm going to rebuke, put out of my life, walk away from, because this prophecy that has been spoken into my life is too important to walk away from. I'll try to hurry this morning. Paul goes on to tell Timothy, he gave him five steps to avoid spiritual shipwreck. The first step to avoid spiritual shipwreck, he tells him in verse 18, he said, I, he said, this charge, I commit to you. This charge, the apostle says, Timothy, look at me. Look me in the eye. Don't you look off when I'm talking to you, boy. Son, he calls him. He looks at him with boldness. He says, son, look me in the eye. This charge I commit to you. What is he saying? Timothy, submit to spiritual authority. I didn't think that was going to get you shouting this morning. That's what he's saying. If you don't submit to spiritual authority, your life and your family will end in shipwreck. You want to know why your kids want to run and be rebellious? Probably because they had a good example. Oh, you were shouting with me a few moments ago. 
I got to preach what the Lord told me to preach to you this morning. Submitting to spiritual authority. Submission flows down. You want your children to be saved? You better submit to spiritual authority so they'll see it in you. You can tell them all day. But your example is what they see and witness in your life. The first step in walking with God is to submit to spiritual authority. You've got to submit to God. You've got to submit yourself to the Lord. The second thing, to avoid spiritual shipwreck, he tells him, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, according to what has been prophesied and spoken over you. In other words, the second thing that you've got to do to avoid shipwreck is to fulfill your potential. I want you to look at your neighbor. I want you to look at them in the eye and tell them, seriously and sincerely, I want you to say this to them, fulfill your potential. Nobody can fulfill your potential for you. Not one person can fulfill your potential. Let me explain this prophetic word that it is talking about. Somebody thinks because a prophetic word was spoken over them, it is automatically going to happen. Let me explain to you. When the will of man is involved in a prophetic word that comes to you, when the will and actions of man are, are, are involved in it, it the, the, the word that is coming to you is simply the potential that God is speaking into your life. Meaning you may not see it in yourself, but I am speaking the potential that is in you. But the only way that prophecy can come to pass is if you submit yourself to it. Brother Danny, I could come and prophesy over you. I'm not. Don't get all shook up here. I could come and prophesy over you this morning that God's got a million dollars in your future. And you can say, wonderful, I'm going to take my golf clubs and go to the golf course and I'm going to stand on that promise until the million dollar check arrives and in my account there is human will involved in that that prophecy comes to you means that God wants you to recognize something about you that you have the potential to, to, to make the million dollars but you're going to have to get up tomorrow and start working for it but God is reminding you I put potential in you for it to come to pass you're not going to make the million dollars going fishing every day going to the golf course every day sleeping in the noon and eating fried chicken every day but if you're going to get the million dollars you're going to have to pray over it work for it, get out of bed make it happen, the potential that God is talking about that the apostle Paul is saying Timothy there are some prophecies spoken over you but you are going to have to fulfill the potential that God has put in your life it's not going to happen automatically but you've got to go after it with everything you have, fulfill your potential thank you I got about, about, got about a fourth of you on because I'm going to have to go a little further with it because you want a little more scriptural reference because some of you are hung up in the idea that just because it's a word of prophecy means that it's a false prophet that someone's a false prophet if it doesn't come to pass That's, that, that would be concerning end time and concerning things that are out of your control but things that are connected to the human will a prophecy is speaking into your potential let me explain a little further God 
God took Adam, perfect man, took Eve, took Eve from the side of a perfect man and made her even a little more perfect. So he took perfect man and a little more perfect lady and he put perfect man and perfect woman in the garden, in paradise, in a perfect environment. He put them there. But the scripture in Genesis chapter 2 says he put them there for the purpose of dressing it and keeping it and hedging it about. This is the truth about potential that God has placed in every one of you. In other words, he says, Adam and Eve, I'm putting you in a garden. But you have, you have an obligation to this, this perfect man and perfect woman in perfect environment. You have an obligation. I am putting you to work in that garden because although it's perfect, I'm putting potential in you to make it better. That's why you have to dress it. God put giftings in you, but you've got to perfect it. God put talents in you, but you've got to perfect it. You've got to work on it. That's why just because you have a beautiful voice doesn't mean that you've arrived. Just because you have talent to come and play an instrument doesn't mean you have it made. God is saying, I put potential in you, and I want you to make that potential. I want you to fulfill the potential that I have put in you. In other words, you've got to show up to rehearsal. You've got to work on it. You've got to develop it. You've got to pray over it. You've got to cherish it. And then the next thing he says, and keep it. In other words, you've got to protect your potential. You've got to protect your potential. God put potential in your life, but you've got to protect your potential potential. You've got to cultivate it. You've got to make it better. Later in, 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 in the letter, in the fourth chapter, in the 14th verse, he said, do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of hands of eldership. There's something to this. I see it this morning. There is some things that are exploding in my mind about the importance of a prophetic word and the laying on of hands of elders that is speaking over somebody's life. I come to you to remember every time that a man or woman of God has laid their hands on you and prayed over your potential and spoke potential into your life. Don't neglect it. Fulfill it. Work at it. Pro Protect it. The third thing that you have to do to avoid shipwreck, you must be willing to fight for your calling. You got to be willing to fight for your calling. That thou, he says, by them might war a good warfare. Or in other words, he says, you might fight a good fight. And in another place, he says, you might run a good race. Here he is declaring to us that there is potential in you. But whatever you're doing, if you're warring or running or standing or whatever you're doing, you got to do it well. But you got to fight for your calling. I told someone last night, if you want your ministry, it will not just happen. If you want your ministry, you're going to have to fight for it. 
because your adversary, the devil, will try to rob it from you, will try to steal it from you, will try to cause you to, to mess your life up, to wreck your potential, to lose your testimony. It's difficult. I, I, was, in a, I was in a place some time ago where someone was asked to speak and they knew that they had done some severe wrong to me at another time. The whole time they're up trying to preach, they can't get their eye off of me because they knew I was sitting in the congregation and I was the person that they had wronged and I was a person that they had harmed. And so they looked at me, they stared at me. It was bothering them. I was over praying for them the whole time, wanting them to know, God, I want you to know and them to know that I have forgiven them. I have released them. I want them to do well. I want them to fulfill their potential. But in the name of the Lord, don't let, and the Lord revealed to me, he said, this is what happens when you lose your testimony. You got to fight for your calling. The fourth thing that the apostle says, he said, if you're going to, to, to avoid shipwreck, you're going to have to defend your faith. You're going to have to defend your faith. He said, having, holding the faith, having the faith or holding the faith, Timothy is called to defend the truth of God against those who deny, reject, or distort it. Paul's faith directed his life. Paul's main concern was that Timothy might lose the faith. It was his greatest concern. I have people come to me sometimes, Pastor, how do you feel about this? Pastor, what do you think about that? And it's not that I'm so concerned about the thing as it is I'm concerned about you losing your faith. Every child of God should allow their faith to affect every decision that they make. Their priorities, their preferences, their friends, their relationship. It must be something that you consider. I'm trying to hurry. I know you're getting weary this morning. The fifth thing, the fifth thing that Paul said that you must do to avoid shipwreck. He said having a good conscience. In verse 19, your conscience, let me say this to you today, your conscience is not your feelings. Look at your neighbor and tell them your conscience is not your feelings. If so, I would tell you to do whatever feels right, but that is not what the Bible said. You cannot allow your feelings to control you. If you allow your feelings to control you, pleasure will control your life. The Holy Ghost works through your conscience to tell your mind to not do what feels right, but to do what you know is right. Don't do what feels right. Do what you know is right. Some think their conscience is their feelings, and if they feel something, then that's what they're going to do. But the conscience is given to us that we not... We don't just go by what we feel and sense. I get worried when people say, well, it just felt right and I felt this and I felt that. You've got to do what you know is right. When it comes to morals, when it comes, you've got to do what you know is right and what you know is wrong you must avoid. Paul is urging Timothy 
to be conscientious at all times, no matter what the flesh is tempting him to do, no matter what his friends say, no matter the power of the enemy. He said, hold on to a good conscience. This is exactly what he's writing about in the book of Hebrews, the second chapter. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard lest we drift away. This process is not dramatic nor sudden. Drifting doesn't happen that way, but it's quiet. Drifting is obviously carelessness and the lack of attention given to the things that anchor your life. The problem is not a hearing problem. The problem is a heeding problem. It's not knowing what to do, but it's not doing what you know. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, he said, I'll liken him to the man that builds his house on the rock. And then he counters that. And he also says, but the man who hears my word and doesn't do them, I will liken him to the man that builds his house upon the sand. And when the rains descends and the floods came, it fell and great was the fall of it. What is greater than someone losing their own soul? It's causing someone else to be lost in the process. It's taking your family in the process. It's affecting everybody around you in the process. William Barclay's translation of the, this verse says, Therefore we must be more eager, more eagerly anchored with our lives to the things that have been taught, lest the ship of our life drift past the harbor and we end in shipwreck. A man who worked with a corps of engineers at one of the locks and dams on the Arkansas River wrote about what he experienced. He said several times a year, fishermen's boats were sucked through the gates of the dam simply because they either ignored the warning signs or they simply drifted too close to the gate. And he says there is a point that when you get so close that the current will, will suck you in to the gate and it's the point of no return. Here's what I feel and I fear this morning. I fear today that there are those in this room that have ignored the warning signs, ignored the Holy Ghost calling. You've ignored it, you've allowed, you've allowed your life to drift dangerously, drift dangerously close, far too close. No one in their right mind would allow this to happen intentionally. But sometimes we're just drifting our way through life. Drifting our way through our spiritual life. We simply drift too far. We get to a point we can't even retrieve our own selves. The result usually ends in destruction. I'm going to leave you three things, three responses that I'm calling you to today. If I've, if I've talked to you, if anything that I've said this morning has affected you, 
I prayed about some situations that God has been urging me to step into and deal with. And in my prayer and asking God for direction, the Lord said, the first thing to do is to call them to repentance. This morning I come calling you to repentance. I'm going to close with the three R's of response this morning. And the first is I'm calling you to repentance. So where do we go from here? What if I've already drifted, Pastor? What if I'm already involved in things I shouldn't be? What if I'm... doesn't matter. Simply repent. Repentance is godly sorrow worketh repentance. Repentance is a made-up mind. It's a decision in your mind that I'm going to make some changes in my life before I end up in shipwreck. Simply repent. The second hour of response I bring to you this morning is to remove those things that hinder you from making the right decision. First, repent. Secondly, you've got to make some removals in your life. You've got to remove some things. Nothing is worth being lost over. No relationship is worth going to hell over. No friendship is worth being lost. You've got to remove some things out of your life. It'll be the hardest decisions you've ever made, but you've got to make decisions. And it may not be one or two. It may be several, but you've got to make a hard decision, and you've got to make a cut with it. Otherwise, you're going to drift into destruction. Hear your pastor's voice this morning. I'm pleading for some folks in this room. Stand with me. I bring you the third R of response this morning. The Lord is calling you to return. Repent, remove, and return. The Lord is calling you to return today. If I didn't love you and want to see you return, I wouldn't stand in this pulpit and spend my time, energy, and effort. But God is calling you to return. Return to your first love. Return to the place you once were. God bless these that are already responding today. Others should be joining now. You don't have to wait for my call today as the Lord is dealing with you. You ought to walk boldly to the front of this room with a made-up mind. I'm coming to repent. I'm going to remove some things, and I'm returning. I'm returning to my first love. I'm going back to the place I once was with God. I need a praying church this morning. I need some sensitive ministers in this room today. I need some elders that will pay some attention to what's happening in these altars this morning. I need you to be bold in the Holy Ghost. I can't repent for you. You know what to do. I'm preaching to a church that knows what I'm preaching today. Somebody ought to throw your hands in the air and begin to repent. You need to make up your mind to remove some things. And you need to return. Return to your first love. Take me back, Lord. I want to go back to that place. I need to get back to that place where your spirit moved me. 
I want to walk back to that place, God. I want to live in your presence. Don't remove your Holy Spirit from me. I want to walk in your presence. I want to feel the tug of your Spirit. Return this morning. Return, the Lord is calling. Return, the Lord is saying today. Return today. Come on, don't be ashamed to let tears flow. Don't be ashamed to show desperation this morning. I need some ministers and elders to help us today. I want you to turn and find somebody to lay hands on and pray for today. There's some folks in jeopardy today. Their lives, their homes, their future. They're drifting dangerously this morning. Don't end in shipwreck. Come on, if you know I preach to you this morning, you don't need to worry about anybody else. You need to focus on yourself. Repent. Remove. Return. Come on, that's it. God is wanting to do a work today. God wants to work today. Oh. 